Turn in your Bibles to Job if you're not already there. And we're going to be uh, looking at chapter 1 and 2. We'll not read all of that, but I'll refer to it as we uh, uh, go along. Let me say that I'm uh, delighted to be here. Uh, I accused Pastor Robbie of booking me when he wasn't here on purpose. Uh, but I, I'm really happy to be here. My wife and I visited a couple of times. We appreciate the church. Matter of fact, I told her she could not fill out any more visitor cards. <clears throat> Because um, you don't just send something, you send people to the to our house. And I, they came to our house, and I was just so surprised and impressed. I thought, this is wonderful, but I felt like they ought to be going somewhere else, you know. But uh, thank you. Uh, I uh, told the service this morning, I, uh, I appreciated uh, Jeff helping with that term Ebenezer. Uh, how many of us sang that for a long time and had no clue what that was? Um, Ironically, uh, Friday night, my son and my granddaughter, who'll be five in just a couple of weeks, was at our house, and we were having family devotions. And before we went, she went to bed, and uh, my son said we were singing some other. Night. I said, "Can we just sing a hymn?" And it was "Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing." And when we got to the verse about "Here I raise my Ebenezer," uh, she just kind of burst out laughing. Now, the reason for that is her cat is named Ebenezer. And uh, she grabs that thing by various body parts and play and just raises it up in the air. And so every time you, every, matter of fact, I shared that. I was looking over here. Uh, so every time I think about here, I raise my Ebenezer, I've got this mental picture of her grabbing this cat with trauma in its eyes uh, and, and raising it up. So just kind of a, that, that may mess up the hymn for you from now on. But anyway. Oswald Chambers, uh, a man who, for whom, perhaps whom you've uh, read before, my utmost for his highest and other things, said this, I am called to live in perfect relation to God so that my life produces a longing after God in others' lives, not an admiration for myself. What a, a great thought for us. And as we think about that thought, about our lives producing a longing in other people's lives, it's the idea that what we have, when people examine our lives, they would say, I want that. That, uh, that would be the life of Job. None of us would like to go through what Job went through. But, boy, the way that Job lived his life, what an incredible thought. He's a man of faith. He was a man who went through some difficulties. Matter of fact, uh, as we think about it and we look at it, I mean, every single thing in his life seemed to be touched by, uh, by tragedy and crisis. But yet here was a man who kept his faith. And I, I just want to talk about that. I think the music this morning is perfect. Living our life from the inside out. Uh, just a reminder by Julie of, of there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. And so as we think about those concepts, let's, let's just look at Job. Uh, if you would, just pretend we're in a courtroom and Job is here and we have the witnesses. Now there are three witnesses that, at the beginning here that are going to testify. First we have the, the witness of man, so to speak. And if you uh, look at chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil, or you could, you could say hated evil, a word we would use more frequently today. He, he hated equal, or, or evil. He was a man of faith. He, he believed God even in the tough times. I reminded of the little boy who was praying at night, and he said, God bless Mommy and daddy, and my brother, and my sister, and my doggie, and then he said, and P.S. God, 
take good care of yourself because if something happens to you, we're in a big mess. <laughs> and as we think about that, obviously we know that nothing is going to happen to God, but a good reminder for us that when things happen to us, sometimes we think that that affects God like it does us, and it doesn't. We, we may, our lives may crumble, our lives may fall, we may look around and say, I don't know what in the world's going on, but God has never lost control. And we have, to, we have to think about this. And here was the testimony, the characteristic. It said he was perfect, literally just blameless. There was no accusation against him. Now, that didn't mean that he never did anything wrong. It's just that his life was such that he really glorified God. And, it, and, and he was perfect or blameless. He was upright. Uh, the idea of righteousness or uh, sustained or a sturdiness of character, if you would. Uh, he feared God. He, he literally demonstrates this through his worship and his consistency. It's one thing to say, I fear God when everything's going right. It's another thing to say it when everything literally is going wrong. And he did that. And then it says that he shunned evil. Uh, you might, uh, you can compare that with verse 5. The idea that he, he hated evil. He was sensitive to evil. And so that was the record of man here in the courtroom. But then you've got the record of God. Look at verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Some uh, translations, probably more paraphrases, say my friend Job. There is that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and he hates evil. Uh, I think it would be wonderful to have uh, experienced what what Moses did, where God talked to him. I think it would have been incredible to experience what Enoch did when God walked with him. I think it'd be a wonderful thought to to be um, to have God actually send his private limousine to pick you up like he did with Elijah. But to say have God say about us or about me or about you that this man is blameless. He fears me. That would be the ultimate. So we've got the testimony now, if you ever wanted, you know, if you wanted a slam dunk testimony, that's it. OK. But then beyond that, if you look in verse 9, even the, the record of Satan says, Then Satan answered the Lord, and he said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Satan has to acknowledge God's accuracy here in his report, even though he doesn't like it. But then what he does in order, and this is what the accuser of the brethren would do, he questions his motives. Oh, he only serves you because. And he questions his motives. But even Satan had to acknowledge that. So here was a man of faith. We look at this and uh, we're, uh, again, we're not talking about someone that was perfect in the sense that we think of Jesus Christ perfect. But here was a man who literally lived what he said he believed. And what a challenge for us. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's easy to talk about my faith. It's another thing to live it. And here he is. And we find now not only a man of faith, but we find a man of affliction. You begin in verse 19 or verse 13 of chapter one and just it's just like one thing after another you have trouble and tragedy in his life both human and natural agents you've got the sabaeans who were known for their cruelty who come in you've got uh, the the fire that comes from heaven you've got the chaldeans who later will conquer uh, babylon you've got the wind uh, job is there and all of a sudden a messenger comes in and this has been destroyed and then a messenger comes in and this is destroyed and then a messenger comes in and all of this takes place and everything in his life seems to have crumbled. I know uh, some of you are doing the um, in one of your small group studies. Where was God when? And in there, uh, at the, at the, I tell a story about when our daughter Misty was killed and 
how uh, just a few days later I was I was walking and I came to this realization. Everything in my life had fallen apart, but everything I knew about God was still true. And my life might have looked like it was in shambles, but that did not affect God in the sense that he was up there going, wow, I wish I'd have seen that one coming. Job realized that, and it's interesting as you see that he's lost family, he's lost friends, he's lost wealth, and he, and he hasn't even gotten to the point where his three friends are going to come and encourage him, if you can call that encouragement. He hasn't even gotten to that point yet. He hasn't gotten, this is even beyond, uh, or just before he has, he, his health is taken. But we see what he does. He not only is a man of trouble and tragedy, but he's a man of triumph. In verse 20, it says, Then Job arose, and he rent his mantle and, he sh- mantle, and he shaved his head, and he fell down upon the ground, and he worshipped. His first response was that of worship. Now, that's, that's a tough one. I have to ask myself, when crisis comes into my life, whether it be big or little, what is my first response? Now, honestly, if we, if we think about that, we usually do better with the big things than we do the little things. Uh, my wife will tell you, uh, I, you know, the big things come along and I'm okay. It's those little things. It's like the airplane's late uh, or, you know, the weather or this thing or that thing. What is our first response? Job's first response in the middle of all of this was that he worshiped. Warren Wiersbe said it this way. Worship puts God where he deserves to be and keeps men where they ought to be. We worship him. He not only worshiped God, but he trusted God. In verse 21, it said, and it says this, and he and said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't understand what's going on is what Job actually is saying, but I want you to know, I still trust him. It's not about what I have. It's not about what I don't have. It's not about what I've gained. It's not about what I've lost. It's about him. He cuts right to the to the chase, if you would. He cuts right down to the thing that really matters. And he says, I worship God and I trust God. He was a godly man whose life literally beautified the, the, the concept of faith, if you would. It's the concept of us living our lives, trusting God in such a way that people would see Christ in us, that we would re- be reflectors, if you would, that others would say, hey, I think I want what they have. Uh, there are sometimes as believers that, we live our lives and literally what it does is I think it causes people not to want to know him. I'll never forget speaking at an activity that Word of Life was running. I don't remember what city it was in, but I spoke at an activity and there were, it was an evangelistic activity. And there were a number of uh, young people that trusted Christ. But I, I noticed that there was a, a, a group back here. Uh, then and even though they indicated they didn't know Christ nobody responded and after the message I was just kind of milling around and I talked to a couple of them and I asked them I said did, did, when you you heard the message right you understood about your your need for Christ right yes I, went through that. I said so why did you not say yes to Jesus and the whole testimony of the entire group was one of their friends quote unquote was a Christian and if that was what a Christian was they didn't want that Job's life was one where he trusted God. Verse 22 goes on to say he remained pure. It says, in all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He didn't say, okay, God, you blew it. I don't know what you're doing. I mean, here I am serving you. I'm living for you. I'm doing this. Why in the world would you do this? Now, let me say this. 
I don't think uh, Job was human, obviously. And I'm not sure that Job was so perfect that he never had those why questions. And I think one of the things in this series that uh, that Rick and I did with where was God went, I think that one of the things we have to realize is that God is not intimidated by our why questions. It's okay. It's okay for us to say, God, I don't understand. I, I just don't get it. I, obviously, we want to grow in our faith where we go from the why to for what purpose approach in, in talking to God. But it's okay when you and I are struggling and we say, okay, what's happening here? He just continued to say, no, no matter what happens, I am not going to charge God foolishly. I'm going to live for him. He was a man of affliction. I mean, there was tough things going on in his life. But what we see in his life is in the middle of all this crisis, we see a man of integrity. Uh, one pastor said it this way, uh, crisis does not make a person, it reveals a person. And so it's, it, crisis is not going to all of a sudden make us into these incredible saints. What it's going to do is it's going to, I think, reveal what's been going on in our lives. It's what we've done before the crisis that makes the difference. And so as we look at that and we examine our own lives, here was a man of integrity, Warren Wiersbe, and I would encourage you anything he writes, I would encourage you to read, but he has a book on integrity. And I take this quote from his book. It says this, integrity is to the personal or corporate character what health is to the body or 2020 vision is to the eyes. A person with integrity is not divided. That's duplicity. Or merely pretending. That's hypocrisy. He or she is whole. Their life is put together. Things are, are, are working harmoniously. And then I like this. People with integrity have nothing to hide and nothing to fear. Their lives are open books. Now, it would be one thing for me to stand up here today and give you the testimony. Uh, uh, I'll pick on Pastor Robbie since he's not here. I could stand up here and give the testimony of Pastor Robbie. But, but wonder if we knew that the testimony of our lives was going to be written in a book that was going to be read by billions of people and it just was going to live on forever. That's what happened with Job. Even there, his testimony came through this and his integrity was sure. See, in chapter 2 and verse 3, we've got the record of God. This is after the affliction, after the hardship. Here's the testimony of God. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now, understand, this is the third time that's been said about him. But God adds a postscript here. And he still holds fast his integrity. Three times this has been said. And now after the, the trauma, after the tragedy, after all of that, after the crisis, he says, but he still holds firm his integrity. What a wonderful, wonderful thought. Uh, he is uh, he's a man that is uh, walking with God. He. I think what, what we find here is we find a man who was um, not willing to accept the whole victim mentality. Uh, I've been uh, doing some writing uh, in, our, in my blog, and I would, I'd be glad for any of you to, to go there, just my name and wol.org. But uh, we've been writing about the whole concept of bullying. The, the uh, blog on Thursday was bullied to death at the age of 13. A father's response to tragedy is about a, a true story over in Vermont of a young man who was bullied, and he took his life, and... His father took action uh, to pass some laws and such. But I think we live in a society also where it's easy for us to get a victim mentality. Uh, particularly, I think, in Christianity. 
well, they're picking on me because I'm a Christian. No, maybe they're picking on us because we need to be picked on. I don't know. Maybe they just don't, they want to see what's really on the inside. I want to see if, you know how long. Uh, if, you've, if you understand this, if you've got children, sometimes you see one of them. I know not yours, but mine. Um, and they kind of pick on the other one to see how long it takes to get them to, to just kind of erupt. We wouldn't do that as parents or husband and wives, but I mean, you know, they, they do it. I think sometimes that we look, they look at us and they go, I wonder what they're really made of. See, a victim is the person that, you know, they're always saying, why this happened to me? You know, they blame everybody else for problems. They've kind of got a negative outlook. My wife and I, I know a lady, sweet lady, but everything is negative for her. We said, boy, it's a gorgeous day. Yeah, but it's really cool out there today. Well, wow, it, it, you know, it's not going to rain today. Yeah, but it's going to rain tomorrow. Just, there's, uh, some people thrive on it, don't they? They just have to have a crisis. They have to have something wrong because that's what gives meaning to their life. They just have a victim mentality. Praise the Lord, he didn't. We see the, the testimony of, of uh, God, and as I said before, that's the slam dunk. We don't need any more testimony beyond God, but you, those of us who are married will understand this concept. Guys, let me uh, just talk to us. If somebody wants to know the real us, they can just ask our wives. <laughs> I got an amen. <laughs> See, I can stand up here and try to, to purport or tell you that I'm this or that. I can tell you I love God. I read my Bible. I do this. But see, if you want to know the truth, ask my wife because she knows. And, and that's the, kind of the acid test. That's the person who, who lives with you the, the, all the time. They're the one that knows. That's where we come to in chapter 2, verse 9. We've got Job's wife. Chapter two, verse nine says, then his wife said to him. Now, this isn't a great, uh, <laughs> a great report. This is it said to him. Do you still hold fast your integrity? Now, that's not saying, uh, you know, what's going on. She's just saying, why do you keep loving God and, and being this person of integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? One of the paraphrases um, that's written on this passage, I, I, I would not dare say this. But he says this, this is their paraphrase of that, of that uh, particular sentence. says, he told her, you're talking like an empty-headed fool. Uh, that would get me killed at my house. <laughs> so I, I just wouldn't go there. But he says, should we not, can we take good from God and not take evil also? See, I think Job's response, he, he's just saying, I mean, his wife, his God gives the testimony that he's holding his integrity. His wife gives the, the, the testimony that he's holding his integrity. But then she kind of responds like the rest of the world, doesn't she? Why don't you just curse God and God? If God doesn't, if God loved you, he wouldn't let anything bad happen to you. That, that's, the, that's the society we live in, but that's not the biblical record. And as we look at this and we think about it, and obviously I, all of us understand, God doesn't settle his accounts down here. And so the, the things that come to us, if we look at them in perspective, one of these days they will make sense. It's just the problem that we are so finite and we live in this thing called flesh and it's just so hard to comprehend it now, isn't it? But Job did not lose his integrity. He maintained his faith. Uh, Thomas Akempis said this way, the glory of good men is in their conscience and not in the mouths of men. It's not, a, it's not just what others have said, but it's what we know that's happening. The song we sang earlier from the inside out. So the, here's the here's the challenge for this morning. How's our faith? How's our faith? 
the little boy was in Sunday school and uh, the teacher was uh, talking and she asked the question, who are the saints? And of course, all the, if you've ever taught children, everybody wants to answer. And this little boy thought for a moment and then he raised his hand. She said, who are the saints? And he says, and he was thinking about the, their church, the big stained glass windows. And he said, uh, the saints are the people the light shines through. And see, when it comes to our faith, that's it. We ought to be the people the light shines through. We ought to be the people that God, when they looked at us, they see the light of the glorious gospel. What did Paul uh, uh, talk about the glorious gospel? And then we think of Luke and in the book of Acts and what he wrote, that we would turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. We're here to be salt and light. And sometimes being salt and light means that there's tough times in our lives. And we look at the example of, of uh, Job and we say, I want my faith to be like that. So the challenge this morning is twofold. First of all, uh, I, I don't know uh, all the people that are here. I know a few of the people, but I don't know. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you've come several times. But maybe you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so we talk about faith and we talk about Job and all these things happen. And you're going, wow, how in the world? What? I don't know if I want to even think about to entertain. I understand all that. Well, see, here's what we're talking about when we talk about faith. We're talking about the fact that we serve a God who loves us so much that he sent his only son. And that Jesus came to this earth, the creator of the universe came to this this earth. He lived a sinless, spotless life. He died on a cross and paid the price for your sin and my sin. He suffered our hell. And three days later, he arose from the dead. And he offers us a free gift. Now, that is beyond comprehension. That, that the God of the universe would lay down his life and then rise again so that he would offer us this free gift. And see, those of us that are here this morning who say we have faith, that we know Christ, what we did is one day we realized we were a sinner. We acknowledge that we realized and acknowledge that Jesus was the son of God and that he died and was buried and rose again. And what we did is we said yes to his free gift. That's what I did. I, I wasn't special. Nobody in this room was special. We just simply said yes to Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning, you do not know Christ in a moment. We're going to give you an opportunity. You can either respond and have someone pray with you and, and help you to find out that answer and to say yes to Jesus Christ. Or you can let them know and they'll come visit and sit with you privately and talk with you about it. But that's what we're talking about. And then for those of us who know Christ as our Savior, here's the challenge. Are we letting the light shine through? Can people see Christ in us? Are they attracted? Have we beautified the gospel with our own lives to the point that people say, I want that? If not, maybe this morning would be a great time just to bow our heads right where we are and pray and confess sin or make a new commitment or maybe you need to come here and pray, whatever. Here's the bottom line. We just need to do business with God. Here's the challenge. Make decisions today that you're going to be glad you made when you stand before him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this church and for the ministry of this church. And I pray that today... You would help us in this service to, to just block out everything else that's out there. If there are people here that do not know you as Savior, they've just not said yes, they've not accepted your free gift, would, would they do that today? I, I just pray they do it today.
before they walk out of these doors. I pray for those of us who who would say we are people of faith. Yet uh, the testimony of our lives sometimes do not bear that out. And it's not just in crisis. Sometimes it's just the busyness of life. And it's the fact that we've not made you the priority of our lives. And so today I would would ask that maybe there that you would help us to deal with that privately in our seats here at the altar, whatever. But if there's something between our soul and our savior that's blocking the light, would you help us to deal with that today? In Jesus name. Amen.